0: We have been in a series that we have called Foundational, and we are starting our last topic today, okay? And uh, I'm saying we're starting it because it's going to be more than today, it's going to also be next week. And, and so the idea of this series was to talk about some core things, alright, foundational things to our belief. And last week, uh, and this week though, our, our topics are less of like core beliefs, like, this is super important for us to understand and believe. Uh, and they're more often about just kind of some some outlying things that I think are really important. But we don't often talk about on a Sunday morning. Uh, we might not have life groups that are talking about it. And, and so last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about the question of what happens when we die. All right, now I think a lot of us traditionally probably have been like, Oh, I have an easy answer for that. I've been taught that my whole life. And, and you know, we kind of go back to sometimes these, like, things that we were taught in Sunday school maybe as a little kid and on the flannel graph, and you, know, you have a little flannel graph person, and they die and they float up into the clouds. And, you know, like, and we've just kind of stayed at that level. Um, and we, we jumped into this, like, what happens after someone dies, not what happens after Jesus returns. That's a whole different question. That's actually where we're going today and next week. But what happens when we die, that time in between, someone who's passed away right now and Jesus hasn't returned, what what is happening there? Uh, If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back, take a listen, uh, either on our YouTube channel or our podcast. You can find those through our website, going to like Media and then Long Prairie. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about what we alluded to last week, which is what happens uh, with the return of Christ. So we're going to start this, um, and we need to lay some groundwork today. So, that I feel like we can really jump into it a lot heavier next week. But this is incredibly important today. Otherwise, I think we would be lost. All right, so my hope is is that as we do this, as we approach this topic, that it actually encourages you to maybe go beyond this and and, and go and start to do some studying on your own and and digging into some of these things. And we just want to equip you to go further. That's what our job is. Our job is not to teach you every single thing that there is, because I can't, all right? I'll be very honest about that. We want to equip you so that you can feel like you are able to go and find these things and and answer these questions. And so I want us today just to be open and excited, all right? Um, And I've kind of changed my plan for how I wanted to approach this. Uh, Originally, I was going to do one week. I was going to have it be this kind of big overview, very general, um, and then basically give some homework to go and watch uh, about four different videos, okay? But some of us in this room, we have not gotten any better at homework, than we were way back in high school okay and so I just know better than that And I'm sitting there thinking well how do I do this and I'm like I think these these videos are crucial to what we're talking about but I can't communicate it nearly as well and nearly as concise and short as what these videos do and so we kind of were talking through this and we've landed on this We're we're going to watch two of these today as part of the message and I'm going to talk kind of on either sides like I am now, and, and then next week we're going to watch the following two, because if we watch all four of them today, uh, church would end up being too long, because we had the graduation thing, and communion, and I'm already rambling on, all right? And so we just, we're going to break this up a little bit, take a little bit more time, and try and do justice to this topic, all right? Um, so what we are wanting to talk about, again, this idea of, of the fancy word would be eschatology, It's just a big word that means the end times, all right? And uh, kind of we have this idea of like we are still in this story. We are living in this story uh, of God wanting to have a community with his creation, wanting to have partnership, wanting to live with us. Um, And and I think that if we're going to talk about, okay, how does this whole thing end? You know, where would we actually know that? How would we understand how this whole thing is going to end? It hasn't happened yet. Well the Bible isn't just one book it's it's 66 books or letters that are compiled together and when it comes to books and writing there are different genres of writing okay just like there are different genres in like movies or in music or anything like and it's important to understand what you are listening to uh, in music or what you are reading to what you are watching in order to appreciate it best All right, in music, like I said, there's different genres like uh, country and rap and gospel and rock and classical. uh, And and there's different ones in writing. And in the Bible, we have history and narrative and poetry and wisdom literature and and prophecy and epistles and, and all these different genres. All right, now, if you are expecting to sit down and listen to a beautiful classical song, all right, some Mozart song, and instead you, like, start listening to country You are not only going to be disappointed, but you will miss the potential beauty and message in what you are listening to. Or at least so I'm told. I have yet to find any beauty in country music. I know that makes me unpopular here. People tell me it's beautiful. I'm like, you know what? Like this whole singing about like breaking up with my girlfriend and my Chevy pickup and and beer and my dog has died. Like I just don't really relate to these things always. All right, but but you you get the idea. Like if you are if you are expecting one genre, if you sit down and you're wanting to watch a nice rom com and instead all of a sudden you didn't realize, oh, this is a horror movie. Like they just killed the main person. How what is going on here? Like you're gonna be throwing off and you're not gonna understand what's going on and you're really not going to appreciate what is happening. And so this is this is really important for us. And and so one of the one of the genres of writing in the Bible is called apocalyptic literature. Now even as I say those words like we have all sorts of ideas attached to the word apocalyptic apocalypse right and we're, and we're going to talk about that today and like it's not always what we think it is and an apocalyptic literature uh, is also going to have similar feelings to prophetic writings as well and this is where it's talking about something that hasn't happened yet sometimes But the apocalyptic literature in the Bible is how we would have some type of an idea of what it looks like when Jesus returns, when everything is made right by God. All right, now, the problem is many Christians don't know how to appropriately read apocalyptic literature, which can result in some really interesting views or just some misunderstandings. And and I think in this, like, at best, you end up with all sorts of differing beliefs when we don't know how to read this, and at worst, Uh, you really end up with an entire belief system that isn't based on, on Scripture at all and often becomes weaponized towards the world and distracting to believers. And we see both of these things. We see you know, people that are approaching it at its best, and we still have all these different views. We see people approaching it at its worst, and it just is turning into uh, just some really crazy unhealthiness. So I think in order for us to talk about the end times, we first must understand how to read these books. Then after, and only after we understand that, we can begin to look at these books and try and discern uh, what it meant to the original recipients and what it means still today for us. All right, now here's how we are going to do that. We're gonna watch two videos today from a group that's called the Bible Project. I've talked about them a decent amount. You've probably watched some of their videos before. I think I've even done this once before where we showed a video. All right. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the Bible Project, they're a nonprofit whose goal is to help people read through the Bible while avoiding common pitfalls and misunderstandings and really like understand it and have it be accessible. I think the Bible can be difficult at times to understand. Tim Mackey, one of the founders of the Bible Project, uh, is incredibly brilliant. Like his knowledge of of Hebrew and Greek and cultural understandings, he spent a long time in Israel even just studying, um, partnered with a unique ability to pull everything together and highlight this one big story in the Bible. Like it is from. From the people that I've been studying and reading through, like it really is almost unrivaled uh, in the way that he is able to make this so accessible. And so then his friend John, who had a passion for visual storytelling, comes up with this idea of having these videos that they're going to make. And they're these like cartoon kind of videos, but as you'll see today, these are not like kids cartoon videos. They, they would not necessarily be able to grasp a lot of this. And, and I think their videos are one of the greatest tools to just everyday Christians. And their podcast goes incredibly deep on the same topics. Like they, the videos that we will watch, they're seven, eight minutes usually long. They're a result of ten episodes of a podcast that are an hour each of them geeking out and nerding out on this really deep stuff. And then they take ten hours of discussion and somehow pack it into like a six-minute video. And you're like, how did you do that? But it's just brilliant to watch. And they have all different types of videos. And there's one group that's called How to Read the Bible. And if you want to start somewhere, that's where you would start. And we're going to watch one of those today. And it's How to Read Apocalyptic Literature. All right, then they go through specific themes, other videos like that. They have one on every book of the Bible. And what I've made a practice of is if I'm reading through a book of the Bible, I watch their video on that book multiple times as I'm reading it just to keep myself remembering what is going on, because as they go through the books of the Bible, they trace the entire book and talk about what's happening and how it all connects and all these different things. And so we are first going to watch a video on apocalyptic literature. How do we read it? Then we are going to watch a video on the book of Daniel. All right, Because whether we knew this or not, the book of Daniel actually has apocalyptic literature as part of its genre. And Kind of what I want to happen is just for us to have an understanding. There's so much in this book that the regular English just misses. All right, And I've used this analogy before for reading scripture, but I think it's super helpful. Okay, Like when I go and sit in the deer stand, All right, and, I, and, and as I'm like sitting there and I'm looking out and I'm scanning the woods, hoping for something to come my way, And uh, when I first get in the stand, like it's before legal shooting, as long as the morning has gone the way it should and I got out of bed, All right, And uh, it's pretty dark. And I look around, and I can faintly make out some, like, different trees and bushes. But they kind of just look like dark blobs. And you kind of get an idea in your head of what you think it's going to look like when the sun comes up. And as this goes, all of a sudden there, there begins to be more definition and more understanding as the sun comes up. And it gets brighter, and it gets brighter, and it gets brighter. And all of a sudden, you can see the details, and you can see the depth of the woods and the clarity that is happening in the woods. And this is like so so incredibly important for us. And all of a sudden, you reach a point where where the sun is up, and you begin to see things. And you're like, that's never how I thought it was going to look. I thought there was a massive tree right there, and then you're like, actually, it was like four little trees all clumped together. And this to me is is incredibly similar. reading the Bible. When I pick up the Bible, when anyone does, and you just begin to read it in English, like we can see, we can make out a little bit of the shapes, the things that are there in Scripture. We can. But as we begin to understand things more and more, and we understand the background and the context and who the author is and why did they write this and who did they write it to and how did they understand it, as we understand all of those things, it brings clarity and definition and depth to what it is that we're reading. And so this is, this is so important for us. And, and I, want, I want us to do this this morning. Like, we are, we're going to move into this time of just watching these videos, all right? Uh, um, and I think that as we watch, especially the video on Daniel, after watching the first one, that my hope is, is we have a little bit of that feeling that just happened with the woods. Of like, okay, I haven't really, when I think of Daniel, they're like, okay, Daniel and the lions, then. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The rest of the book, I don't really know a whole lot about. Okay, you're going to see all these different things, languages that are in there, and the way the chapters are supposed to link together, and things like that, and or different stories in it. All right, So we're going to do this. We're going to watch these two videos, um, and then I'm going to come back up, and we'll just kind of close it out. But I think this is going to set us up with what we need so that we can appropriately appropriately dive into the book of Revelation next week. All right, so here we go. It's the end of the world.
1: The moon turns to blood, mountains crumble, mutant locusts swarm. These are just some of the strange images we find in parts of the Bible called apocalyptic.
2: And while most people think the biblical word apocalypse means the end of the world,
1: it actually doesn't mean that at all. So let's talk about how to read apocalyptic literature in the Bible. So wait, the apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world? No. Apocalypse is a Greek word that means to uncover or reveal.
2: An apocalypse is when you suddenly see the true nature of something that you couldn't
1: see before. Because I don't always see things the way they really are. Right.
2: We all develop familiar ways of seeing the world that can limit or blur our vision.
1: So an apocalypse is like
2: a revelation. Right. Now, in the Bible, an apocalypse is when God pulls back the curtain to show someone what's really going on in the world from a divine perspective. For example, take Isaiah the prophet. He's suddenly transported in a vision into God's throne room.
1: Oh, right. He's in God's temple, described as a bridge between heaven and earth. And there, God gives him
2: a divine perspective on Israel's past, present and their future
1: so that Isaiah can bring challenge and comfort to God's people in his own day. Or think about the apostle Paul, who was trying to stop the movement of Jesus, but then
2: he gets stopped in his tracks by a vision of the risen Jesus himself.
1: Yeah, he realizes that he's fighting against the very thing that he's been hoping for, and it changes the course of his life.
2: So these apocalypses give people a heavenly perspective on their earthly situation, and they can give hope, or they can challenge you.
1: Or make you change everything.
2: Now, those are biblical stories about people having an apocalypse. There are also whole sections of biblical books where a prophet describes extended apocalyptic dreams and visions. People call this
1: apocalyptic literature. And reading these dreams and visions is difficult. I mean, they're filled with strange images. Like, let's take Daniel. He sees ferocious beasts coming up out of a dark sea trampling people on the land, and then a character called the Son of Man is exalted to rule the world. What is going on?
2: Yeah, apocalyptic literature is written in a poetic, imaginative style, and it's packed with symbolism.
1: How can I know what these symbols mean?
2: Well, first, by studying the rest of your Bible. Apocalyptic imagery is based on biblical design patterns that begin in the book of Genesis and then develop throughout the Bible. Like the chaotic sea in the first sentences of the Bible that God tames but doesn't eliminate as he orders creation. And so the sea becomes an image of danger, death, and cosmic chaos.
1: God ah, and the dry land, which comes out of the sea, is the safe ordered place where humans are supposed to rule as God's image.
2: Yes, and also on the land are beasts that humans are supposed to oversee. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast. And start acting like violent beasts. Exactly. Now, sometimes a prophet will tell you what a symbol means. Like in Daniel, we're told those beasts symbolize violent human kingdoms. But more often, the authors just assume you know how to trace an image through the biblical story to understand
1: its meaning. Now, let's look at the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, because it's one really long vision. The whole thing is an apocalypse.
2: Yeah, and it works the same way. It begins with John the visionary transported to God's throne room, where he sees the risen Jesus as the exalted king of the world.
1: But Jesus is depicted as a bloody lamb.
2: Right. It's a design pattern showing how Jesus is the sacrificial lamb from Israel's Passover and from the Day of Atonement. He gave his life for the sins of the world. And then John sees the ultimate beastly dragon, that spiritual power that energizes violent earthly empires. It's cast out by Jesus, the world's true king.
1: Yeah, now that reminds me. When I read the Revelation, I'm struck by all this cosmic destruction and violence. I mean, it happens over and over and over.
2: Yeah, in the Revelation, there are three seven-part cycles of God's judgment, and it's another design pattern that connects together the stories of the flood, the 10 plagues on Egypt, and the exile to Babylon, and even more. These are moments when humans unleash so much violence and death into the world that God hands them over to self-destruction. It's like a reversal of creation in Genesis chapter 1, as God allows the world and humans to sink back into darkness and disorder. That's sobering. It is. But remember, in Genesis 1, God overcame darkness and chaos with his light and life. So too in the Revelation, the death of Jesus and the death of the world as we know it is the pathway into the renewed creation that began with the resurrection
1: of Jesus. And so while the Revelation feels like the end of the world,
2: it's actually about the beginning of the renewed world, where heaven and earth are reunited and God's human images rule all creation in the love and power
1: of God. Okay, this is a lot to take in.
2: It is. And there's a lot in these books that is still hard to understand, but the purpose of apocalyptic is really clear. To give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances so that every generation of God's people can be challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. The book of Daniel... The story is set right after Babylon's first attack on Jerusalem and they had plundered the city and its temple and taken a wave of Israelites into exile. Among them were four men from the royal family of David. Daniel, whose later named Belteshazzar, and his three friends who you probably know by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This book tells of their struggles to maintain hope in the land of their conquerors. The book's design seems pretty simple at first. Chapters 1 through 6 contain stories about Daniel and his friends in Babylon while chapters 7 through 12 contain the visions of Daniel about the future. But this two-part shape is made even more interesting by another design feature and that's the book's language. It begins in Hebrew, the language of the Israelites, but chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, a cousin language to Hebrew spoken widely among the ancient empires. But then in chapters 8 through 12 it goes back to Hebrew. This design shows how chapters 2 through 7 are a coherent section, but it also highlights the importance of chapters 2 and 7 for understanding the later chapters of the book. Let's just dive in. Chapter 1 introduces the basic tension of the first half of the book. Daniel and his friends, they're really wise and capable, and they're recruited to serve in the royal palace of Babylon. But they're pressured to give up their Jewish identity by living and eating like Babylonians and violating the Jewish food laws found in the Torah. So they refuse, and they choose faithfulness to the Torah, and that puts them in danger. But God delivers them, and they end up being elevated by the king of Babylon. After this begins the Aramaic section, which you'll see has this really cool symmetrical design. So, first the king of Babylon has a dream that, it turns out, only Daniel is able to interpret. It's about a huge statue made of four types of metal and it symbolizes a sequence of kingdoms and the head is Babylon. But then a huge rock comes flying in, and it shatters the statue, and it becomes this huge mountain. Now, this dream is the first of many symbolic visions in the book, and this one introduces the basic storyline of them all. Daniel says that the statue represents a train of human kingdoms following from Babylon, and they will all fill God's world with violence. But one day, God's kingdom will come and will confront and humble the arrogant kingdoms of this world and fill the world with the healing justice of God's reign and rule. After this, chapter 3 tells the famous story of Daniel's three friends who refused to bow down and worship a huge idol statue. Which, like the statue in chapter 2, represents the king and his imperial power. And So the friends are persecuted, they are thrown into a fiery furnace, but God delivers them from death and they are exalted by the king who now acknowledges their god as the true one. After this come a pair of stories about two Babylonian kings, the father, Nebuchadnezzar, and then his son, Belshazzar. They are both filled with pride because of their imperial power and so, like in chapter 2, God warns them both through dreams and then visions, which, also like chapter 2, only Daniel can interpret. He says that both kings are to humble themselves before God and both kings arrogantly resist. So Nebuchadnezzar is stricken with madness. He becomes like a beast in the field. But then he humbles himself before God and his humanity returns to him. He's restored as king. This is in contrast with his son, Belshazzar, who doesn't humble himself before God and he's assassinated that very night. Now, these two stories draw this imagery from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Psalm 8 where humans are depicted as the royal image of God. He's given them authority to rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air on behalf of God who is the world's true king. But when human kingdoms forget that, when they rebel and make themselves and their power into a God, they become less than human, like violent beasts who will face God's justice which brings us to chapter 6 the pair of chapter 3 and this time it's daniel who's being persecuted because he refuses to pray and worship the king as a god and so like the friends he's sentenced to death and he's thrown into a lion's den but god delivers him from the beasts and like the friends the king exalts daniel and praises his god which brings us to chapter 7 it's the pair of chapter 2 and the center of the book where all its themes come together it's another dream but it's daniel's this time and ironically he can't understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him. He sees a series of four beasts, one like a lion, then like a bear, then one like a winged leopard, each of these symbolizing an arrogant kingdom. And last of all is a super beast, identified as a really evil empire, and it has lots of horns, a common symbol for kings in the Old Testament. And there's one specific horn who is an image of an arrogant king who exalts himself above God and persecutes God's people. Now they are symbolized by a figure called the son of man, who is an image for both God's covenant people but also for their king from the line of David. But then all of a sudden God who is called the Ancient of Days comes and he sets up his throne. He destroys the super beast and he exalts the Son of Man on the clouds where he comes up to sit at God's right hand and share in God's rule over the nations. We can look back now and see how all of these stories in the first half fit together. The three stories of faithfulness despite persecution. These are meant to offer hope to God's suffering people among the nations. But they suffer because human kingdoms have rebelled against God and have become beasts. And so these visions encourage patience. That God's people are to wait for him to bring his kingdom and rule over our world and vindicate his suffering people. But it raises the question about when God is going to do that. that That's what these final three visions set out to explore. In chapter eight, Daniel has another vision about the final two beasts of chapter seven, but this time they're symbolized by a ram, who we're told is the image of the empire of the Medes and Persians, and then by a goat, who's an image of ancient Greece. And out of the goat come a whole bunch of horns, one of which symbolizes the evil king from chapter seven. And we're told more about him, that he will attack Jerusalem and exalt himself above God and defile the temple with idols. However, in the end, he will be destroyed by God who will exalt his people and his kingdom. Now, by chapter 9, Daniel is very puzzled, especially as to when all of this is going to take place. And so, he consults the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, where God said that Israel's exile would only last 70 years. So, for Daniel, the 70 years is almost up. And so, he asks God to fulfill his promise soon. But an angel comes and informs him that Israel's sin and rebellion has continued. And so, their time of exile and oppression will continue on seven times longer than Jeremiah envisioned. Daniel is deeply disturbed by this and he has one final vision. We are shown the same sequence of kingdoms. It's Persia, then Greece and Alexander the Great, followed by lesser kings all leading up to this final king of the north who will invade Jerusalem, set up idols in the temple and exalt himself above God. But then, all of a sudden, this king comes to ruin. Now there has been endless debate about what all of these visions refer to. Many see a clear connection to the exploits of the Syrian king Antiochus in the 160s BC. He killed many faithful Jews in Jerusalem and set up idols in the temple. Others think it points forward to the Roman Empire's role in the execution of Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. And still others think it will be fulfilled in future events that have yet to happen when Jesus will return. Now the problem is that the symbols and the numbers, they don't quite match any of these views perfectly. But it opens up the possibility that in a sense they are all right. The book of Daniel has been designed to offer hope to all future generations of God's people. It did so in the days of Antiochus' empire and it has ever since. This is why Jesus could use imagery from Daniel to describe and confront the oppressive leaders he confronted in Jerusalem. This is why John the visionary who wrote the Revelation could adapt Daniel's visions and apply them to Rome of his day and also all future oppressive empires. And so the point of Daniel is that all generations of readers can find here a pattern and a promise. It's a pattern that human beings and their kingdoms become violent beasts when they glorify their own power, when they redefine right and wrong, and don't acknowledge God as their true king. But Daniel also holds out a promise that one day God will confront the beast. He will rescue his world and his people by bringing his kingdom over all nations. And so for every generation this book speaks a message of hope that should motivate faithfulness. And that's what the book of Daniel is all about
0: all right how many of us are like holy cow let's shut the fire hose off for a second here and let me catch my breath um i i think that that's that's actually an important feeling to have like as we go through this like some some of these incredibly simple things that even lays out at the beginning like oh hey by the way daniel was written in two different languages that is not something that we learn by reading an English translation. It's all in one language for us. And so there's just some of these pieces that, like, this is what I've found. The more I study the Bible, you would think that the more I, that you study the Bible, the more you would feel like you have a grasp and an understanding of what's going on. For me, the more I study the Bible, the more I realize how little I know. <laughs> And how much more there actually is. And the depth of this. Remember, go back, go back to that idea of the woods. Right? Like, okay, I used to just think the book of Daniel was about a lion's den and some guys thrown in a furnace. Okay, apparently not. There's a lot more going on here. And, and I, I think that, yeah, like the, I, just the more I learn, the more I realize how much more there is to learn. Now, we do have to be careful with this. Okay? This should not lead us to feel like God is unknowable and God is is it's unattainable to have a relationship with him or knowledge or the, or that we can't read the bible and get something out of it. Okay, if if this starts to push you in that direction, that's the wrong direction. Because again, like what what I love about the bible is that whether you've been reading it for decades or you pick it up for the very first time, you can read through the Bible, and the Bible, like God can speak to you, and your life can be changed. You can, like it's, it's actually, that's what I love about it. But, that should not give us an excuse to stay in a stagnant, ungrowing place. Where our faith, you know, and this is how we opened up the entire series of foundational. Growth is not optional as a follower of Jesus. Growth is something that has to be happening in our life. And so we, we watch things like this and we're like, whoa, there is so much going on in that video that I do not understand. Good, that means that there is clear room for growth in our life. And then we can begin to kind of walk down that path. And if you're like, I don't know where to begin in that path. Okay, the Bible Project has like over 180 videos. That's a great place to start. The amount of uh, teenagers, when I was working with youth, they're like, yeah, I just, you know, going down a rabbit hole on YouTube is never really a good thing. Okay? Like that's how all of a sudden you end up, you're like, well, these are really weird videos, where did I land? Okay, going down a rabbit hole of the Bible Project videos though, Happens to me all the time and is amazing. Like just going from kind of one video to the next, you're like, wow, like this is all kind of coming together. All right, another thing, our missions team going to Alaska right now, they are going through a book called Acts for Everyone. Written by one of the leading New Testament scholars named N.T. Wright. All right, and it's like a, a mix of a devotional... And a commentary that dives into the Bible and the context and the background. Uh, And I was talking with a few people that are going through this and they're like, my mind is just being blown. Like, I've read the book of Acts. I've gone through the book of Acts. We preached through the book of Acts last summer. But there is so much more there. When the light begins to come up, there's so much more definition and clarity and depth than we ever could have imagined as we're sitting there staring at a, a, a dark woods. And that's what the Bible is. That's what I love about it. That's why Paul can say, I've not reached the goal. I have not attained perfection. As long as I'm here, there is more for me to learn and grow and move towards. All right, let's do this. Let's stand together. As you can see at the beginning here, I said, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this idea of what happens in the end. What happens when Jesus returns. Now, we didn't really necessarily talk about that a whole lot today. But I do think that everything that we're going through here, that this this is actually, this is necessary to then be able to step into the next place that we want to go next week. And I think that without sometimes having the correct foundation, the necessary building blocks, that things can end up getting borderline dangerous at times when we just kind of start stepping into things God can speak to us through reading scripture, God can speak to you as you read the book of Revelation, he can, he can speak to you something specific, it doesn't mean that that's what that scripture verse actually necessarily means I've heard people get up and say well you know this is I read this and this is what God spoke to me this is what this, this verse means and you're like those are two different things, God can speak to us about individual things in our life and from his word absolutely that does not mean that that's necessarily what that scripture means as a whole and and you could see as we go through this I think one of the difficult things with apocalyptic literature is that it previously the book of Revelation has been approached as this like code that needs to be deciphered okay by like Tom Hanks in oh, whatever that movie was that's based on a book the Da Vinci Code you know, it's like all these different things, where you like kind of picture this like Nicholas Cage in the National Treasure, like all these like treasure hunts. We have to figure out if you do this and figure out this, and look at it this way. Then we're gonna figure all these things. We're gonna put them on a timeline. But they're just is, there's there's so much more going on in these passages. And as they said, like oftentimes these things, they they will they might yeah they they might be speaking to something that hasn't yet happened. But they also have, they have meant something to every generation. When the book of Revelation, when that letter was written and sent to the seven churches in Asia Minor, they were not confused by it. They were not sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder what's going on here, or "Oh, none of this is for us because there's no way that this is talking about our world. Like, there's something special about the Word of God where for every single generation, it has meaning. And as we dive into that next week, I, we, need to, we need to be ready for that. And I wanted us today, my goal today, hopefully this is where you've landed, and actually a little bit of the goal last week, as we talked about what happens when you die, with these two weeks was to almost take a step back and say, maybe I don't know what I thought I knew. Or if, if I did, maybe there's more going on here. Okay, because when we start talking about end times and when Jesus returns, most, a lot of our popular culture today, and I'll even say like Christian popular culture, draws it from sources that are actually not the Bible. You'll love this. In preparation for these weeks, guess what I watched? Found it on YouTube. Thief in the Night. All right, and if you know what those movies are, like you're, you're, you're probably chuckling along with me. Okay, it's back in the 70s, like this whole idea of, of all these things. Too many times as Christians, our belief has been built on things that actually aren't the Bible. Now, we would hope that those were built off of the Bible. And, and yes, there's that there. I'm not trying to throw all of that out. But same thing with last week when we were talking about what happens when you die. We only have four verses. Four verses that were not very clear that talk about that. So where else did we come up with these? Where, where do we come up with our thoughts about the end times? And so that's kind of a little bit of, of a thought for you this week. What, what do you believe right now and where did those beliefs stem from? For a lot of the church, the, some of the only teaching that they've had on this is reading through books like the Left Behind series, Watching a Thief in the Night, The Late Great Planet Earth, like some of these things. Like That's that's what has shaped beliefs. And And next week, I want us to dive into Revelation and say, okay, what's actually there? What isn't there? And what does this mean for us? So if you are confused today, perfect. That's where I wanted you. Don't worry, I am too, all right? So I want to just close in prayer, and and my hope is is that you're you're curious, you're excited, and that you want to go deeper and say, God, what is it that is... That you're speaking to me in my life, so Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for um, for people out there like the Bible Project who can who can equip us in a better way to really um, make things accessible and understand them and put them into terms that that maybe make sense and have have visual ways that we can learn. And God, I just thank you for the ways that you have inspired humanity to be creative in these things. It's it's so amazing to see. God, and I pray that we would, um, we would just hold tightly to some of these big beliefs, like you are going to return. But then maybe we hold a little more loosely some of these more specifics of like what that's going to look like, how it's going to happen, what it looks like, all, all these different things. God, that, that's loose because we just don't fully know those answers and we probably weren't meant to fully understand those answers. We were meant to depend on you and trust on you. God so we just we thank you for that. God, I pray that we would just have a humble spirit as we approach your word. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.